Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hello there, welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I'm your host, Dana Trampas. On this show, we're all about amplifying the voices of women and storytellers who are making waves in the world of healthcare and technology. From innovations, advocacy, and more, we're here to showcase the incredible work being done by extraordinary individuals. And speaking of incredible work, I'd like to give today's guest an opportunity to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about your work. Thank you so much, Dana. My name is Ann Snowden. I'm a nurse by training. I am a full professor at a Canadian business school, and I am also working uh, with HIMSS as their chief scientific research officer, all really focused on how do we advance and strengthen health systems globally so that every person everywhere has an opportunity and has the chance of realizing their full health potential. Big statement, very big statement, and lots of work to do. But my heart of hearts is how do we help people stay healthy and have the quality of life that they want to have? Uh, You've written extensively and researched a lot about supply chain, innovation and healthcare. Can you explain how improving supply chain can impact healthcare access and healthcare costs? What does supply chain have to do with health equity? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Supply chain is, when I see those terms, most people think about global supply chains. People, manufacturers create a product, ship it, distribute it, deliver it to where it needs to go. And that's what supply chain is. In healthcare, that's not what supply chain is. In healthcare, the most single most critical feature of supply chain is what's at the end of the supply chain in healthcare. It's a person's life. As a patient, you go to get some type of care for whatever health challenge or opportunity you want to pursue. If those products that you need to be healthy, maybe it's the insulin to manage your diabetes, maybe it's the seizure medication for your little one at home, maybe it's a monitor to make sure your your heart is not getting into trouble with arrhythmia. You absolutely rely on those products to be available, to be of sufficient quality and safety to help you stay healthy and and achieve your health goals. What happens when the product isn't available? 
What happens when you can't get that insulin because you can't afford it? What happens if you can access the product they've been prescribed to you? And guess what? It didn't work for you, even though it works for most other patients. The end of the supply chain is that person's life. And that's not what we typically think about in terms of healthcare. If you are in a population group that can't access it, here's an example from Canada. There are many communities in Canada who cannot simply find and get to a health provider and cannot most definitely get their hands on a particular drug or device or product they need to stay healthy because they live in a part of our country that's exceptionally difficult to get to. Some of these are just fly-in only organizations. That's an equity, equity challenge. A health system in our country is mandated to deliver care to every Canadian, despite where they might be. In other countries, US, Australia, Europe, healthcare access to products may be financial. It may be geographic. It may be those products just don't exist in my country. When that happens, not everyone everywhere can achieve their full health potential. That's a supply chain problem. You touched on the global healthcare supply chain, and we were very much exposed to that during the COVID-19 pandemic. We saw a lot of those vulnerabilities. How can we build a more resilient and responsive supply chain to ensure that everybody has that equitable access to everything you talked about, medical supplies, vaccines during a time of crisis? Yep, such a good question. The realization during COVID was multiple and important and give us a really important set of insights I think that we should all be thinking about. First of all is what you just said, it's global. There's no country in the world that can manufacture, source and supply every product a health system needs. We simply don't have the raw materials for every drug, every device, every mask, gown, glove. Nitrile gloves, for example, are generally only manufactured where there's high raw materials like latex, right? Mm. It's a global supply chain that would suggest we need to be much more globally standardized and consistent and engaged to work together to advance a highly robust and resilient supply chain. How do you do that? One of the ways you do that is some data and digital infrastructure. What products does each country have today? Number one, where are those products? Like physically where? Are they in all of your urban centers? Are they in your rural and remote communities? Probably not. And third, who needs them the most? Mm. So everybody wants to have access to every product every day at all times. That sounds very appealing. The reality is we don't actually know which populations are going to need it the most and how quickly. In COVID, for great example, in our country, we learned, sadly, that our seniors, who are medically usually quite fragile, were highest risk for COVID. We didn't make sure, not early enough or quickly enough, that those seniors and their caregivers had all the protective supplies and equipments they needed. Why? Because we thought it was our hospitals that were going to be at the highest risk with patients with COVID coming to them. That was a very hard lesson to learn about how you proactively identify risk, how you mitigate risks before they happen. And the only way you could have done that was to have the supply chain capacity and proactive decision-making based on data, not preferences, to ensure that our highest risk groups of people have what they need to be safe. And that's really 
a very unique feature of supply chain in the health sector that I would argue is quite different in other manufacturing sectors, even retail and grocery airlines. They have very unique supply chains, but at the end of them tends not to be as much as it is in healthcare, a person's life and whether they can A, survive a pandemic, for example, or they would have a quality of life they would hope to have because of where they lived or what financial resources they had or what family challenges they experienced. I think another piece of the complex global health supply chain is collaboration. It plays a pretty crucial role in addressing those things. How do you foster that collaboration to bring in these different sectors and stakeholders to drive that? Do you have any thoughts on that? The one thing COVID did for us, if there's anything that such a devastating pandemic can achieve, is it was a critical learning opportunity. So now many more stakeholder groups much more clearly understand just how important supply chain is. Prior to COVID, I had lots of supply chain conversations with government, with funders of healthcare, with clinician groups, with CEOs, with supply chain teams. They didn't have the urgency and the awareness of just how critical this is for people's lives that they have now. So collaboration now is starting to emerge much more dramatically than I had seen it because now we have the awareness of we've got a problem. And even at the country level, we're seeing that, right? As borders, now we look at, ooh, what do we have and can we rely on ourselves as a country to manufacture versus where do we have to rely on others? We're That's now we're thinking about that as the many geopolitical challenges are happening globally. Countries are now discussing, engaging and creating solutions to the what ifs. What if we cannot get products from the major countries that manufacture them, whether it's Europe and vaccines and India versus China versus Taiwan or any other country? So that awareness is building the and fueling collaboration. The critical question is, how do we bring that collaboration from the country level that there's a me first thing happening yeah. to the global level to say, guys, none of us can supply the products we all collectively need for our respective populations. How do we work together? How do we standardize even things like data for these critical products so that every country knows the context in which every other country is trying to achieve the same set of outcomes? I think there's a lot of opportunity for global collaboration, particularly along critical products. But of course, like everything, that has to happen within very unique circumstances and contexts. And sometimes those circumstances are easier to manage and navigate than others. I think it's a question of timing sometimes and fit. And that's where I think the progress can really move forward. World Health Organization, United Nations, OECD, these groups play a critical role And their leadership brings huge value to that global collaboration and conversation. And now that this awareness and knowledge of just the fundamental issues supply chain presents and the harm potential it offers, I think we've really, we've set the table for some very important global collaborations and discussion. And each country brings something to the table. It's a matter of deciding and determining 
All right, if Canada is the source or U.S. are the source of this incredible research and key components of that product, whatever it is, then now there's an opportunity to build those collaborative freeways, if you will, or channels of sharing data, sharing expertise, sharing critical product research outcomes. I think we're in a very good space. Can it happen quickly enough? I'm not sure. But from an optimism point of view, I hope so. And speaking of the country level, I know that you are doing some work in collaboration within Canada. You wrote a grant and received money to basically establish a community of practice. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you're working on and how that came to be? Yeah, that's a great question. And thank you for that. Canada had, some, as I mentioned earlier, we had some pretty tough lessons learned. We are a country that had the highest rate of deaths among our seniors in long-term care settings of any country in the world by a long way. Canada fully realizes what we were missing. And to their credit, Government of Canada funded this Community of Practice grant. The Community of Practice grant is setting out to do two things. First of all, bring all these stakeholders to a single forum bring their expertise, their experience, their innovative thinking, their opportunities for doing better and different. So that includes federal government agencies, provincial government teams across all, we have 10 provinces, three territories, huge landmass, and we have a population smaller than the population of California. So that gives you a sense of what we're up against. Industry has huge expertise, infrastructure, data to bring to the table, but health systems in our country don't know what that expertise and data looks like. So we have government, industry, we even have retail pharmacy, we have a citizens forum. Because if this these solutions don't work for citizens, then quite frankly, what good are they? So the goal here is bring stakeholders together, mobilize that phenomenal expertise and knowledge and experience each of them has to build awareness so that everybody has the value of that expertise and insights and then leverage that to create the solutions so that we never find ourselves again in such a challenging supply chain crisis if you will as we now progress to whatever the future may hold whether it's fires and floods that we see all the time relative to climate change or pandemics or any of the other supply disruptions. So we are coming together, sharing our respective areas of expertise, co-designing the solutions to supply chain resilience for Canadians. And interestingly, what's happening is we've got five work groups co-designing solutions and every one of those solutions now takes a piece of the supply chain resilience challenge so is working to solve it. And we're just about to test it with some real world case scenarios of supply disruption. Last fall at this time, there was a massive shortage worldwide of children's Tylenol. No one ever saw that company coming. How do we solve that and make sure that never happens again? Or is there a, a what are the likelihoods or, or what could these solutions achieve if we have another pandemic? or even a, another wave of the current pandemic. So bringing those stakeholders together, who've never met each other, never had those conversations, and now they become equal participants, including Canadian citizens, to co-design the way forward. What's starting to emerge, hopefully, is a whole new resilient supply chain model for Canada as a country, not just 
one team, one organization, or one jurisdiction. So it's very exciting. What are you hoping for the outcome of that? Can you see things that are starting to formulate with the community of practice? What are your goals with this? So our our goals are to achieve supply chain resilience in Canada by working together across stakeholder groups, industry, government, academia, clinician, health workforce, health system leadership, supply chain teams, create the new normal for supply chain in the health sector in Canada, recognizing that we are a federated system. Every province and territory makes its own decisions. Federal government makes their decisions, but bringing us all together means coming up with solutions we all want to implement, embed, and scale from our respective stakeholder networks. And it's proving to be pretty interesting. We have a multi-jurisdictional collaboration strategy where all the provinces, territories, and federal agencies can now come together to proactively identify where are the supply chain risks we should address. How do we work together? So if one province has has a whole bunch of that product because they stockpiled it and another province desperately needs it because they have an outbreak or a, a surge in demand, that collaboration across those two jurisdictions never happened until now. So that's just one example. How do we share data? So if our distributors have data that our health systems have never seen but could really help them understand what products are available, then how does data sharing across government, health system, industry, clinician teams now help us inform much better decisions? Those are just a couple of examples. But what we're seeing emerge that people are very excited by are a new resilient way of managing health supply chain for Canadians. I think just getting everybody in the same room to talk to each other is a big feat. I think often in healthcare, we don't talk to each other. I look forward to hearing more about how that progresses on. But I'd like to go back to something you talked about in the beginning was the human at the end of the supply chain. So let's talk a little bit about the humans at the end of the supply chain, specifically patients, right? Patient safety, it's something that we talk about all the time in healthcare. So how does a well-managed supply chain contribute to enhancing patient safety? And can you share any examples of how supply chain directly impacts patient safety outcomes? That's a great question. And it's one that often is source of lots of confusion. Yeah. So if you have a highly resilient supply chain, there are a number of features of a highly resilient. One of the center points and where it often begins actually is a very well-developed digital data infrastructure, which means any jurisdiction, whether it's a health system, a province or a country, has visibility and transparency of what products do we have, where are those products located, and based on our health system demands and patient needs and patients coming to health systems for help, who needs them and who needs them the most? So who's at greatest risk if they don't? That infrastructure creates transparency for which of our citizens are at the highest risk because maybe they're experiencing that particular infection or at the highest risk because if they didn't get infected by a particular virus because of their other health conditions, they are medically much more fragile. If you have that level of transparency in real time and that data is flowing and 
our distributors have this capacity. Our manufacturers can surge and give us that much more product than we've been getting. Now you have an opportunity to make data-driven, evidence-based decisions to make sure that the products that most vulnerable group desperately needs are moved and are made available in those regions or to those populations that are in greatest needs. That's called equitable supply chain. That means it's based on risk who needs it the most. It doesn't mean that everybody who wants it gets it. It's based on risk and those at highest risk, we make sure they have those products, drugs, devices, whatever they are, where and when they need the most. If you, But that requires a digital infrastructure to have line of sight to that. A absolutely. The second part of the quality and safety is if you have that level of transparency and di digital infrastructure, that means every patient who receives care, let's say a procedure or some type of medication or device, whatever it is, that's digitally captured and that you can follow and track, did that care help that person? What outcomes did they achieve? Typical outcomes that health systems collect today are, did they get an infection after that surgery? Did they get readmitted because their outcomes, they got more ill than with a complication than we expected? If you have a digitally enabled supply chain, you can now track what products did those patients receive, the ones that are always coming back with the infection, or what medications did those patients receive? And they're getting readmitted because they're not doing very well. Now you are proactively tracking patient outcomes that matter to patients. Did you get better? Did we did that care achieve those goals? And what role did products assume in helping those patients achieve those goals? Now you've got a, a very digitally enabled resilient supply chain to know what products you need, but maybe even more importantly, you have a, a digitally enabled health system that can identify in near real time, which of the patients have we worked with are doing really well? Which of the patients with similar challenges are not doing well at all? Which means we've got to change something so that those patients who didn't have the same great outcomes, we can shift what products we're using, what care we're delivering, how quickly maybe that care they're getting is optimized so that every person everywhere has the same opportunity to achieve best outcomes. That's equity in my mind. You can't know if you're achieving equity if you haven't got the systems in place that include supply chain data on what products were used to know what care, what products used in care are achieving outcomes and for whom. And that's really a fundamental objective. For me, that's what a high-performing supply chain and health system actually achieves. Let's talk about the other humans, the clinicians. Yeah. What's their evolving role in healthcare supply chain and how do they contribute to building a more resilient and equitable supply chain? Clinicians are at the cold face. They're the group that we all know are fundamentally the decision makers alongside their patients as partners in how do we help you achieve your health goals? Or in some cases, or many cases, how do we solve these health challenges? If a clinician doesn't have access to that very same supply chain data right at the point of care, how do we help that clinician make sure that they're confident in the quality and safety of the products they're using in care? So here's a quick example. 
if I'm at a bedside with a patient and used to do that for a number of years, and I can, and I have, we have the infrastructure so that before I give that medication to this little one in intensive care, I can barcode scan it. And this system will tell me that's exactly the correct medication that has been prescribed for that little one at the right dose and time. And you are safe to continue to, to, to give that. Imagine the scenario where I barcode scan that very same drug that's been prescribed and I get an alert as a nurse that says, do not give that medication. This child is allergic to that medication or this drug is expired and is no longer considered safe. That creates the infrastructure, the digital infrastructure for me as a nurse or any other clinician to absolutely guard against things like medical errors and ensuring every patient gets safest possible care. We've actually done some analysis in our work with HIMSS, where we've compared digitally advanced hospitals with hospitals who have not achieved that same level of digital advancement. Their quality and safety outcomes are significantly statistically better on quality and safety measures than hospitals who haven't achieved that digital maturity. We're still working on that research to figure out why. What is it about the digital infrastructure that helps that quality and safety outcomes. And there's lots of, you can imagine really just like the example I gave, if that digital infrastructure alerts me to an expired product, a recalled product, an allergy or wrong time or process or even wrong patient, then we achieve much better outcomes because we have a safer health system. So far in the US hospital sector, that data is proving to be the case that a highly digitally advanced hospital has better safety outcomes, also has better patient experience outcomes, which would suggest patients have an important opportunity in a digitally advanced system to have better information and knowledge that's based on data. So that's work that's early and we're, we're just in the throes of publishing it, but it's starting to unfold that it plays a very important role, particularly when supply chain is also digitally enabled. It's very important to talk about that, how care supply chain affects all of us, right? So I wanna thank you so much, Anne, for your time today. If you enjoyed our conversation, make sure to hit that subscribe button and follow us on social media. And if somebody wanted to get in touch with you on social media, how could they do that? The best way is probably just on LinkedIn or a quick email, Snowden at uwindsor.com or asnowden at hymns.org. Snowden has no E in it. It's snow like the weather, Don like the man's name. <laughs> you won't find me, but I'd be more than happy to be connected anytime, anywhere. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you today. Thank you. And thank you for joining us today on Hit Like a Girl podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I am truly grateful for you and I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave us a rating or review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All those things help us podcasters out so much. I'm the show's host, Joy Rios, and I'll see you next time.